The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so, in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him all of them are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of a God of eternal love. Amen. On Friday afternoon, I parked my car between the cemetery and the library in Arlington Center. And as I was walking from my car to the library entrance, my attention was drawn to a loud racket of twittering birds high up in a tree in the center of the cemetery. I glanced over the stone wall and saw a man standing alone. And in the tree over his head, a hundred or more little birds, perhaps starlings, were chattering away at great volume. I saw this man amid the noise, and I imagined that he was paying his respects at the grave of a loved one, perhaps wondering where that loved one was now, perhaps wondering if the enthusiastic birds above his head knew something about it. We wonder, don't we, about death, about afterlife, about resurrection, about what happens to our spirits when our bodies cease to breathe and our hearts cease to beat, and when all that we physically experience of ourselves comes to an end. We wonder if we will see those who have gone before us, and if so, what that will be like. We wonder, knowing to some degree that the mysteries are deeper than our potential understanding. There's a poem by poet and history teacher Taylor Molly, in which Taylor has been teaching his seventh graders about Vikings and about how Viking warriors were said to go straight to heaven if they died with their sword in their hands. In the poem, a seventh grader asks, Mr. Molly, if that's true, 
that if you died with your sword in your hand, that you would go straight to Valhalla, then if you were like an old Viking and you were about to die of old age, could you keep your sword right by your bed? So if you ever felt like, I think I might die of old age, you could reach out and grab it. In every age and season of our lives, we wonder about death and heaven. Knowing that this life really is quite temporary and knowing or hoping that something has to come next. The Sadducees in today's gospel are not so different from Taylor Molly's seventh grade student. They also want to know how it works, or at least how Jesus claimed it worked. They were dubious, you see. They were the ones who do not believe in the resurrection, and yet Jesus was speaking of something very intriguing or very heretical, whether they're trying to trap him or find their own truth in him or both. They are curious. Now, in Levitical law, if a man dies, his brother has the duty of marrying the widow and raising up children for his dead brother. Now, if heaven does exist, and if it's a better version of life on earth, the assumption would be that in resurrection, one would have all that they had lost through death returned to them, and more. So, if one woman were given a marriage to seven men, which man would have his wife returned to him upon death and resurrection? I can hear the Sadducees trying to resolve this conundrum as if they, too, are in Taylor Molly's seventh grade class. Mr. Jesus, if that's true, that if you die, you'll be resurrected into, like, eternal life, then what happens if you and your six brothers all marry the same woman because you're all, like, following Levitical law, and then she dies and you're all resurrected together? Then who does she, like, belong to? I love Jesus' response. Over the years, many feminists have loved Jesus' response. It's a bit obscure and multi-layered, but he basically says, those who enter everlasting life don't need to own one another. Rather, they will all be like angels, children of God, children of the resurrection, together. This was a thinking out of the box answer for first century Sadducees. But what does it mean for us? What does it mean in the midst of our wondering? As that man stood in the Arlington graveyard, serenaded by a multitude of birds, as we celebrated All Saints Day last week and prayed for the souls of the community of saints, as each of us holds the memory of loved ones who have died, as we approach Advent, a time when we hear about the end of time in our gospel readings and prepare for the resurrected one to be born. What does it mean to be children of the resurrection? I think Jesus is giving us a bit of the answer. He is speaking to these Sadducees in Jerusalem, not so many days before his own arrest and crucifixion, 
And perhaps he too is very aware of the question of life after death, the question of resurrection. Perhaps he too is looking deep at something too big for the human mind to conceive of. He tells the Sadducees this, God is a God of the dead, is not a God of the dead, but of the living. God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. God is a God of living here and now, yes. But Jesus is answering a question about what happens after we die. And the answer is clearly that life happens after we die. And that that life is very much of God. And God is of it. In an essay that she wrote on heaven, Barbara Brown Taylor asks this question. What if God's imagination is where heaven exists? Now, it is in human imagination that I most experience some transcendent glimpse of heaven. In human imagination, I most clearly feel the presence of the community of saints, the presence of God, the enormity of divine love. I sense it in a sculpture or a painting that catches me off guard and makes me catch my breath. I felt a bit of heaven in the awe-filled Manuum Mysterium that Greg and Robert played on trumpet and organ last Sunday night before Evensong. I read heaven in poetry and in scripture. I imagine we may feel heaven today if we close our eyes and listen deeply to the anthem that the choir will offer during the offertory, a piece of music about trusting in God and knowing that we are in good hands. In these moments of human creativity, passion, and imagination, I glimpse heaven. Imagine, then, what heaven must be like in God's imagination. I have a feeling that it is bigger than anything any of us can think of. And I imagine it won't be a polished-up, idealized version of how we experience life here and now, which I think is what those Sadducees we're expecting. To some degree, maybe we each develop some sort of notion of paradise, life without the inhibition of a tired or wounded body, life surrounded by all those we love, life without poverty or hierarchy or hunger. We dream as big as we can, knowing or hoping or having some sort of hunch that even in our wildest imaginations, we fall short of imagining heaven. And yet, we continue to daydream, because it is, it is in our daydreams that we co-create tastes of heaven with God for one another. In our daydreams, we catch a spark of something more real, more heavenly than anything we've encountered in life. I think that I am most curious and aware of the questions and mysteries of heaven during times when I am with someone who is close to death. When I see someone living in that question of whether they will heal or die, or when someone is clearly drifting from my world, 
when I encounter my own grief, or when I find myself wondering if we really will all be reunited in the resurrection. There's a poem by Elias Amadon that I return to again and again when death seems close and the question of the resurrection becomes more immediately relevant. It goes like this. Friend, you lie quiet, watching the dawn light color your heart, dreaming of healing for your hurt body, lying there unanswerable to your will. You breathe deep, and your breath has two sides, inside and outside. You are on both, being breathed. The future approaches. You will heal, or you will go back to being God. Which will you do? Oh, by all that is beautiful, may it be that you live. May your body heal happy and whole. May energy fill and delight you. May we join the dance your presence gives. May you live. And if you die, oh, dear self, by all that is beautiful, know you are safe. Everything is all right. Forever and ever and ever. The most exquisite, wonderful, familiar truth is what is true and welcomes you. It will be very easy. You lie quiet now, praying. A great healing is coming and you want to be ready. The colors of your heart blend with the light of the morning. You are blessed. We are blessed. Perhaps that is the deepest truth that we can wrap ourselves around, that we are blessed by a God of great love who will gather us up one day into an existence of love beyond our wildest imaginations. Beyond our wildest imaginations, we are blessed. Flocks of birds and autumn breezes, and trumpets, and organs, and anthems, and voices, and each of our beating hearts are singing about it as the resurrected one calls us to join him in the mystery of everlasting life. Amen.